welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we read about Matthew McConaughey's bumper sticker collection so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. And oh boy, did we ever. <laughs> I'm so excited. I We are recording this on Easter Sunday, and it is appropriate because I feel reborn, renewed. <laughs> This, I, you know, and it's been a long pandemic. It's been a long year. I've been feeling the wear and tear of daily life. And this has just brought me back to the beginnings of the podcast and like how exciting it is, how great it feels when you're like, I have got to talk about this completely Buckwell book I've read already. Like my coworkers, my roommate, everyone has already heard hours of me talking about this book at this point because I just kept being like and another thing and also he said this I this is such a rich rich morsel for us to discuss on this day it's true um so we picked this I I feel like was there a reason you picked this or did you just hear that there is a reason and I'm gonna get to it but also uh we are sometimes we like to dabble with themes and we're doing celebrity memoir may Yes. So this is our first celebrity memoir of the yes. month. But we picked the pri- the one that's next time first. And then Renata suggested, oh, like, we'll do this one and, and we can do just, we won't do a guest. We'll just do the two of us. It'll be quick. We can, you know, whatever. So timeline wise, as Renata said, we're recording this on Easter Sunday. So our um, live show at Porter Square Books, well, virtual live show at Porter Square Books was this past Wednesday. Thank you to everyone who came. It was fantastic. It was so great to have you see us. I guess we didn't see you. (laughs) To see your names Um, in the chat, see your chats in the chat. Yeah. And to, to get such lovely, lovely feedback and commentary from you guys. But because of that, I wanted to keep Don't Girl Wash Your Divorce fresh in my mind for the show. So I didn't read that until the weekend before the show. And then that meant that I didn't read this until basically yesterday. <laughs> yeah. It's a breezy read. And it is when I picked this, I was like, oh, celebrity memoir, great. But I did not expect that it would be actually in a lot of ways so similar to Didn't See That Coming by Rachel Hollis, which if you didn't watch the live show, uh we we kind of like that. And honestly, I loved this one. Yeah. But one thing that we said about Rachel Hollis's book is that it's kind of like Pinterest in book form. But Matthew McConaughey was like, girl, like hold my Pinterest. And he took <laughs> this to the next level. And where Rachel Hollis just like pulled in quotes and stuff. He, I mean, I already said his bumper sticker collection. There's just reproductions of bumper stickers. There's reproductions of like his journals. There's things that are like faux taped into the book. It's it's like Pinterest in book form. It absolutely is. Um, and because Renata is like a responsible podcaster, she read this before me and just kept messaging me being like, this is wild. And I was like, I haven't started. It. I haven't started it. And then I finished it at like, you know, midnight last night and I could, she undersold it. It's so wild. <laughs> By the way, also, in addition to the rest of the Pinterest format, the book is called Green Lights. And his whole thing is like, sometimes life sends you red lights, so you have to like stop and slow down and think. Sometimes you get a green light and you can just go. Whenever he says green lights, it is in green font in the book. It's, it is. It is. 
Whew. Oh, also, before we get too deep into this, I do want to give a content warning for child abuse that Matthew McConaughey explicitly says was not child abuse. But when he describes his parents and his vibe, I'm like, no, I don't know, honey. I don't think this is good, actually. <laughs> I don't think so. But before we get too much into this bananas book, I I want to ask you, Kate, what to you, like, what's your defining Matthew McConaughey, like, role or, like, mental image of Matthew? Um, you know, I probably could tell you that he had been in movies prior to this. Okay, okay. I can't... You d- did you watch there's... True Detective? I did not watch True Detective. Oh. Which is why for a very long time, whenever you would say time is a flat circle, I just thought it was some dumb thing you said and it not... It is. First of all, yes, it is. But... <laughs> <laughs> but first, it was some dumb thing Matthew McConaughey said. Yeah, well, like... Russ Cole. Um, I scrolled through his uh, IMDb last night and like I've seen Reign of Fire. I've seen. Um, I hadn't seen that one, but after he wrote about it, now I want to watch it. I've seen um, Frailty. At some point, I'm sure I saw the Chainsaw, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie he's in, but I can't, you know, particularly remember it. And of course, I had previously seen and then refreshed my memory last night of the Unsolved Mysteries episode that was his first acting gig. Mm-hmm, important. Had you seen Days and Confused? I might have at some point in college, but I don't remember it well enough to have that have his like iconic character stick in my mind at all. Well, so all of these roles, great, iconic, but to me, well. My story about Matthew McConaughey, it's kind of a long walk to water, but it is important and I need you to bear with me, UK and the listeners. This is- I'm here. This is important. Okay. So I've talked before on the show about when I was in Peace Corps and how all of us just had this really, all of us volunteers had this really kind of, we were so kind of disconnected from American life and pop culture. And so whenever, whatever like scraps of pop culture we got our hands on, like this is where I first uh, was exposed to Twilight and all of us just got really into Twilight. The Secret, I first encountered The Secret in the Peace Corps. So this is clearly a really formative time for me in my life. And And, our podcast, apparently. And for the podcast, yeah. (laughs) And... Another thing is in Peace Corps, anytime we would always ask for people to send us magazines because we, my group served from 08 to, to 2010. And so internet existed where we were living and working. It was pretty spotty. We went a long time without internet sometimes. And so magazines were great because a magazine is like the internet printed out and you could like take it back <laughs> to your house. My beloved mother subscribed to People Magazine just so she could like accumulate a bunch and send them to me a queen queen shit mom thank you so we like stuff like that we just loved and you would like swap them around and you would read like a year old people if you found it because who cares like it wasn't like you needed it to be news you just needed it to be something that you could read and process and okay kate are you familiar with the brand of beer brahma beer i am not okay it's apparently a Brazilian brand, but we didn't know. I served in the Dominican Republic and they have Brahma there too. And it was the first time all of us had seen Brahma. So we just assumed it was Dominican beer. And it's like, or at least it was at the time, it was the cheapest beer. And a lot of places would offer three Brahma beers for a hundred pesos, which is, I don't know, like a dollar or something. It's cheap. Um, and some of them 
wouldn't offer the three for a hundred deal. So we would always sort of compare notes on what places would give you three for a hundred. Cause in Peace Corps, we were all like broke and sad. So three for a hundred piece of beer was really important to us. I'm laying down all these pieces of backstory to get to Matthew <laughs> <laughs> I haven't forgotten that we're here to talk about Matthew McConaughey. I'm waiting. I'm, so, I'm here. Magazines, Brahma beer. We were sitting, I think we were sitting like in the Peace Corps office or like in our shitty hostel that we stayed at when we were near the office. And in, I think, probably People magazine, some celebrity magazine, there was just a photo of Matthew McConaughey and like a full suit patterned with the Brahma beer logo that we've since learned he wore. It was in Brazil and it was for Brazilian Carnival. And it makes a little more sense because Brahma's Brazilian. But we were just like, is Matthew McConaughey in the DR? Like, And it was just, you know, in magazines, sometimes they just have like a weird collage of photos or whatever. And it wasn't the full story, right? It was just this photo that we latched onto and became obsessed with. And we're like, Matthew McConaughey is in the DR. And, you know, his vibe is so, like, beachy and chill. We were like, yeah, he's coming to the DR and he's going to, like, paddleboard. And, like, and then we just sort of started, like, writing verbal real person fan fiction about Matthew McConaughey and like his adventures in the Dominican Republic that never happened but we just spent like a year just casually just casually talking about Matthew McConaughey and this is also when I first realized that his last name is impossible to spell so we whenever we did have like flip phones and we would also text each other and so we would just text MMCC for Matthew McConaughey and so we were just always talking about M-, M McSee's adventures. And then one of my friends, his Peace Corps project was uh, he got involved with a community radio station. And I think this is how we found what to me is Matthew McConaughey's defining role. And we're trying something new with our podcast recording and process. And so this is... I'm not sure this is going to work, but I think I have the soundboard configured that I can share this with you, Kate. Okay. So I'm going to hit play. Let me know if you don't hear it, but I'm going to, I'm going to share this with you. It's one minute long. I'm going to play the whole thing if it'll work. Would it be crazy if you just stopped? Can you hear this? Everything. Packed your bags and left for a week, a month, a year. What if you left for two years? Would people think you'd lost your mind? What if you were going far away to help in a village on the edge of the Gobi Desert? A village crowded with Buddhist temples, not skyscrapers. A place where there isn't a word for recluse, but a thousand words for community. Would it be crazy to go 5,000 miles from home? To spend time with people the rest of the world only reads about? To build libraries and fill them with stories? Prepare a meal with food you helped grow? to teach children and learn a thing or two about yourself. Would that be crazy? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov. Yeah, so to me, to me, this is Matthew McConaughey's defining role is the Peace Corps PSA that he recorded in like 2007. <laughs> and so obviously this became like a weird catchphrase for us uh, just specifically would that be crazy <laughs> which i i know crazy is sort of ableist and like on its way out but in 2008 2010 was peak 
would that be crazy? (laughs) (laughs) I have an incredibly important question for you. Uh Was this before or after you learned about the secret? Uh, It must have been after, but I don't think Because I think you manifested it. <laughs> i know right yeah that's so clear that we did manifest it but i don't think we even talked about it in those terms it was but you're right we did <laughs> and okay so that's matthew mcconaughey's peace court ad was crazy and now having read this book and remembering how like weird the script of this is i think he wrote his own <laughs> Like, I think he wrote this and the piece, because there is also another version that he did that's more normal, because the one that the other one is like, it uses more of the actual Peace Corps language of like, life is calling, blah, blah, blah. But this one is just unhinged. And then at the end, they're like, okay, fine, Matthew, can you just say like, peacecore.gov at the end or whatever? And he's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, and again, I... I haven't seen most of his movies. Most of the movies that he's made are not really the kinds of movies I'm interested in. And that's fine. Like, I think I, I never had thought badly or particularly well of his career. I'm mostly interested in him as this sort of like weird Peace Corps mascot role that he doesn't <laughs> know that he has. <laughs> and also, I liked him in Magic Mike, but then for Magic Mike XXL, he was replaced by Jada Pinkett Smith, and that was a real upgrade, so I don't I don't know what to tell you. But reading this book, I liked him. I found him... It made me feel good about my choice to weirdly imprint upon him in Peace Corps. I was like, this tracks. This is exactly... I continue to vibe with this. Yeah, I will say, like, so we read... It, you may recall that we read Renata's nemesis's uh, memoir, Rob Lowe's memoir, one of him, a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, and I, you know, we liked it. I think we both liked it. It was like a charming kind of, this is full of Hollywood stories and like, you know, cute little cocktail party anecdotes. And, you know, it was fine. That was kind of what I was expecting out of this. And it, this was not that. This was this, not that. This is like occasionally he will mention that he's an actor. <laughs> occasionally, yeah. And honestly, those were the least interesting parts for me. One hundred percent. And I think he knew it too, because he was just like, anyway. Um, anyway, then I did these seven movies, and now I'm going to talk about this other one weird thing that happened, and then I won an Oscar, and then like now we need to focus on this weird thing that happened to me. It was. Just this book, you pick it up. There's a little introduction where Matthew McConaughey is like, oh, I I always like to keep journals. And so I went to a cabin and read through my last 35 years of journals. And this book is that process. And also, let me explain the concept of green lights to you, where sometimes life sends you a green light and it's in green font. Anyway, also, I love bumper stickers. Also, I, okay. Also, I love bumper stickers. And the book, like I said, it does have little reproductions of bumper stickers throughout. And he says... I've always loved bumper stickers so much so that I've stuck bumper to sticker and made them one word bumper stickers with no space in between. And throughout the book, he refers to bumper stickers with no space between them as if that means something as if that makes it a different thing. Matthew, 
I can't, like, I know sometimes we're like, you need to read this book to understand it, but you need to read this book to understand it. I truly recommend it. We're going to do our best to try to portray this book as accurately as possible, but I do honestly think that nothing we say will be able to convey the content of this book and how you feel reading it. Okay, um, in the in the audiobook, are the bumper stickers in the audiobook? Yes. How does he the do it? The bumper stickers. He he literally will say bumper sticker and then read the bumper sticker. <laughs> and he does the same thing for each poem. He calls them. What the fuck does he call them? Oh my god! It's not. He doesn't call them poems. He calls them something else. Okay. And I'm mad I can't remember what it is. Okay, maybe it'll come up. Okay, but so the book, it starts with kind of like a couple false starts. And then when the book actually starts, um, remember when I said content warning for child abuse? The way this book actually starts in actual book form is his parents who were married three, they divorced each other twice and got married three times. So they like kept getting back together and like ultimately stayed together until death did them part. But it starts with them having this vicious, brutal fight at the dinner table that erupts because the dad asks for more potatoes and the mom is like, you're fat. And then they fight. And like the, in the middle of it, the mom tries to call 911 and then she hits the dad in the face with the phone and breaks his nose. It is vicious. The dad is throwing ketchup everywhere. And then abruptly, they stop fighting and they start fighting fucking in the ketchup just like in the mess that they've made of the dinner table they start fucking and presumably like child matthew is just like okay bye like he didn't really describe he was just like any and this is like what my parents were like he didn't really describe the aftermath of like him going to his room like okay i guess dinner's over now i (laughs) but it's full of stories like that where he and he again and again is like my parents weren't abusive but they believed in tough love and i'm like no this is very violent this is wild um at one point he tells a story we're kind of going out of order now about like he tells stories about each of his brothers and like how they became a man in his father's eyes and then goes on to tell the same story about himself later and for his older brother he started working at the same um pipe that's sold pipes like oil pipes. pipes Yeah. And his brother started working at the same place, but was doing better than him. So after he got a big account, their dad took him to at night after they had had a few beers to the the account holder's property and was like, we're going to steal his pipes. And he's like, I can't. The brother was like, I can't steal them. I just got this account. And the father's like, no, like, and they literally physically made his son beat him unconscious. Yes, he hits him in the face with a two by four, which is, by the way, how it felt to read this book. Yes. Every You turn the page and it hits you in the face with a two by four. And you're like, oh. And so then the, the brother's like, oh, my God, I killed my dad. And then a few minutes later, the dad wakes up from being knocked unconscious by a two by four and is like, I'm proud of you, son. You're a man now. <laughs> Excuse me? What? And and this is, again, Matthew's like, but it wasn't abuse. It was just casually Knocking each other unconscious with a two by four. Yes. Also, he keeps talking about the values his parents instilled him with, and he's like, they valued honesty. But then he gives like 10 examples of how actually, no, they didn't. Like his dad often, he's like, my dad was a good salesman and he like, whatever. But also, he often would steal pipes from his competitors or whatever. <laughs> and he talks about his mom 
Oh okay. my god, his mom is wild. His mom is wild. By the way, his mom, quote, beat two types of cancer on nothing more than aspirin and denial. Okay, mom, good for you. His mom, at one point when he was a kid, he had to write a poem for class and he wrote a poem and he showed it to his mom and she was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And then his mom opened a book and I can't, I wish I wrote down the name of the poet um, and showed him a like a professionally published poem and was like, do you like that poem? And he was like, yeah, it's really good. She's like, well, then that's your poem. Submit that. And he's like, I, I can't though. I didn't write it. She's like, well, you like it. And that means it's yours now. If you like a thing, it means it's yours. Yes. <laughs> so you, you can If you it. like it and you understand it. The poem yeah. was Anne Ashford, but also it's very funny because earlier in the book, he put that same poem in a little box and attributed it to Matthew McConaughey, age 12. And then later in the chapter, we learned that no, no, it's actually Anne Ashford's poem, but his mom said it was okay for him to steal it. And then he won the contest. (laughs) (laughs) Quote, my mom had no upbringing, and since she didn't like her, which, how do you have no upbringing? You had something, it was just bad. Anyway, my mom had no upbringing, and since she didn't like her life growing up, to survive, she denied it and constructed her own. She's always believed that if you understand something, then you own it. You can sign your name to it, take credit for it, live by it, sell it, and win medals for it. Plagiarism? Shit, they'll probably never find out. And if they do, all they can do is blame you and take your medal back. So fuck up. Quote from his mom. And then his takeaway from that is obviously my mom was prepping me to be an actor long before it became my vocation. He tells a different story too about his mom. Where like he, she entered him in like Little Mister Texas, and and there's a photo and it is adorable. And he, um, for years and years, like he, she told him like he won and like would like greet him as like oh like here's Little Mister Texas, 1987 or whatever. And years later, he looked at the photo of him holding the trophy and realized it wasn't the winner's trophy. It was the runner's up trophy. And she's like, oh, well, the kid who won, like he was rich and he could afford to buy nice clothes. And that's the only reason he won. So you actually are the real winner. Yeah. Uh, And the childhood, his childhood is wild. (sighs) Oh, okay. One other anecdote. His dad was hanging out with his buddies and they were having a contest to see who could piss up the wall farthest and then and his dad was currently winning and then his friend made a bet and was like if you can and the i think the record was six feet and four inches of height of pee on the wall which i i do not understand how peeing with a penis works like i okay like okay and so they like escalate the bet and the dad is like well you have a dirt bike and if we can beat this record then i want your dirt bike and the friend is like okay but if you lose i get your truck which is like your livelihood and the dad's like okay brb he drives back home it's the middle of the night it's 112 miles back to the house he gets matthew's eight-year-old brother picks him up out of his bed, takes him back to where, like, his drunk friends are hanging out, has this eight-year-old pee on the wall. The eight-year-old pee is super high up the wall, and they win the dirt bike, and the dad's like, hell yeah, and then they he goes and puts his kid back to bed. What? I, it's It's so much. Every single story is so much. And truly, like, we are not cherry-picking. Every- no. Every like that's my favorite, but everyone is like 
equally as weird in different ways. Yeah. Um, also, the first time his parents whooped his ass, it was because his mom overheard Matthew in kindergarten let his ki- his friends call him Matt, and he didn't correct them and say it's Matthew. And they were like, we didn't name you after a doormat. Your name is Matthew. And are like... I like on one hand, like yeah, I get it. Like you should be called what you want to be called, but the, a that's very extreme, and I guess I don't have a B. That's very extreme. Take it is very extreme. So after oh god, I feel like I feel like we could talk about every section of this book forever. But in the interest of time, yeah, the well, next section is so wild that I really want to move on to when he studied abroad in Australia. Yes, I okay, and I have to say, reading about his time in Australia, it felt it reminded me a lot of being in the Peace Corps. And just the, like, confusing, lonely, pointlessness of it. But so he gets this, like, Rotary Club scholarship to... It's weird because he's graduated American high school, but he gets this study abroad thing. And they're like, do a year of Australian high school. And he's like, yeah, sure. Like, I'm a, I'm a very chill man and I will do another year of high school. Fucking whatever. And they put him with this host family who's super weird. And they he thought he was going to be outside of Sydney. And he's like hours away from Sydney in this very small town. And there's like not a lot to do. And Matthew McConaughey, if you haven't gathered, is like a very chill guy. But he has limits. And these people are pushing his limits he, he's just like he leaves school because he's at first he's enrolled in the high school and he assumes like oh like i'm an american so they'll think like i'm cool and want to be friends with me and like all the girls will love me and everyone hates him so he leaves school <laughs> and he starts doing like a work exchange program instead and like working in various different jobs and the family that he's living with is just so fucking bizarre they're like, Matthew, you have to, uh, like, why don't you cook something American for us? Because you're our American exchange. And he's like, okay, yeah, um, I'll make hamburgers. And they're like, top choice, Matthew. And he says, no, wait. And here's the direct quote. Actually, no, I take that back. We're having cheeseburgers. Because the man who invented the hamburger was smart. But the man who invented the cheeseburger was a genius. Which... He doesn't attribute to a bumper sticker, but it seems like it could be a bumper sticker. Absolutely, probably was a bumper sticker. Um, but so the host dad, like, takes him back into his office and, like, lectures him. He says, Matthew, that is merely your opinion. And in your time here with us, you will learn to appreciate fine wines, fine cheeses, and not to voice your opinion for the masses. I said, it's a figure of speech. It just basically means I like cheeseburgers more than hamburgers. Ah, 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 he chided, as I said, for the duration of your stay in Australia, with us here in the Dooley household, you will learn to appreciate fine wines, fine cheeses, and not to voice your opinion for the masses. He was dead serious. Just uh, as a, a side note to this, um, he obviously reads the audiobook. He reads all the accents, all the <gasps> accents of everyone. He does them very well. And it's just, it was just... I think I I honestly want to reread this as audiobook. I think I missed- absolutely. I think I think you in particular, now knowing your Matthew McConaughey backstory, I think yeah. you would appreciate it. Oh I can give you my Libro FM login if you want. Yeah, thank you. But here's what really got me is he's like chafing in this completely unhinged family, and there's all kinds of just like weird little rules and like lectures they give him, and they like don't like to let him leave the house. He during this time sort of develops kind of an eating disorder i think like he he says quote i got very thin i was running at least six miles a day and then 
my identity shaken, I needed some resistance to find my footing, something to overcome, a discipline to adhere to, a sense of purpose so I could better maintain my sanity in the strange place I was in. I decided to become a vegetarian. The problem was I didn't know how to be a vegetarian, so I began eating a head of iceberg lettuce with ketchup on it for dinner every night. Matthew, what? It's just, it's so much. It's every, everything. I I wish I could read the entire Australia section out. Every single thing that happens to him. There's a point where like the, the host family has a son and the son has a girlfriend. And at one point for reasons that are never explained, because I don't think he even knew, the mother, the host mother starts like peer pressuring him to kiss the son's girlfriend in front of like an entire party of people. And he refuses, and then, like, they're mad at him for it. They, The mother loses her shit when he refuses to call them mom and dad while he's there, or mom and pop, mm-hmm. while he's there. And that's the point where he, like, in a tornado, runs to the, the head of the, the Rotary, Rotary Club, Club and is like, can I please live with literally anyone else, please? Yes. Also, so before when he's back in Texas and he's agreeing to do this program, the Rotary Club, like, you have to sign this contract that you'll stay there for the full year and not leave. And Matthew's like, yeah, of course I'll do the full year. And the Rotary Club is like, everyone says that, but then they get homesick and they want to come home. And for unknown, like, whatever reasons, Matthew's like, I won't sign this, but I'll do a handshake deal with you. And the Rotary Club guy is like, okay. And so they shake on it. And so this whole time, Matthew is like, I can't go home. I shook my hand on it. I have to stay here for the full year, which again, like truly made me think of Peace Corps. Like you could have left, but you felt like you shouldn't leave. And, and the way, like he talks about writing these like long letters home because he just like, he's so isolated and like people don't understand. Like, I was like, I'm with you, Matthew. I'm with you. I feel you. Um, he talks about he only had three cassette tapes and he listened to them over and over again, like same, a, a relatable king to a certain small subset of the population. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after the Rotary president's like, okay, like we'll, we'll set you up with someone else. And it's like, great. And they have a Rotary club meeting and they announce like, oh, like, you know, Matthew's been with this family and like, it's worked out so well, but we want to like share the love. So we're sending him to this other family and his host dad's like, yeah, like, and everyone nods and agrees and it's great. And then like his host family doesn't acknowledge he's leaving. And then the day he's set to leave, his host dad comes in and is like, uh, we decided you're not leaving. Like me and, and my wife decided you're staying here. And like it's the last straw for Matthew and he punches a door (laughs) yeah and curses the guy out and freaks him out so much that he literally runs away but then like when he leaves with his new host family all the whole family is like standing in the driveway crying because they're so upset that he's leaving it is fully wild and unhinged yeah and then the new family is like hey, how did you handle living with that family for so long? And Matthew's like, what? And they're like, that family's bonkers. It was a prank we played on you. And I was like, this is actually so cruel. Like, what are you talking about? Oh my God. It was, and he he has a, a footnote at the end of the chapter saying that because it was the way the exchange program worked, their son, the original host family's son, who was his age, came and lived with his family while he was in Australia and like went to 
Six Flags and like football games and like made out with his ex-girlfriend and threw parties every night and like his parents like let this guy run wild and he had the best time of his life while Matthew McConaughey was in Australia eating a head of iceberg lettuce with ketchup every night. I yeah, it does seem like this the latter six months of his year he did enjoy more once he got with like a a normal host family, but like <laughs> okay, Matthew, like yes. Oh my god. It was it was so fucking wild. Ugh. Um, and then he, he got back to the U.S. and went to the University of Texas. Uh, and at first he thought he wanted to be a lawyer, but then he decided he wanted to pursue acting, which, spoiler, we, we, we out okay that. for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but first he became a hand model, which I just thought was funny. He um, So he, he had enrolled in film school um, and... It was all like, you know, stereotypical film film school type people. And they would always be like, okay, well, your your homework for this weekend is to go see a movie. And they'd all go to like the art house and he'd go see Die Hard and come back and report like Die Hard was really good. And they'd all make fun of him. And then like he came to realize that he didn't need to be like them. Because at first he would just like feel sort of sheepish. And then one day in class, he was like, okay, well, what was bad about Die Hard? Like, why didn't you like Die Hard? And they all were like, oh, we actually didn't see it. And then I pulled this quote because I think it could be like, we could put this on T-shirts. Um, <laughs> he said, fuck y'all for saying something is shit just because it's popular. And then after that, he felt more confident in his um, in his choices. Yes. Um, but yeah, so he uh, got. Oh, he worked at the he, he, worked, at he the, worked at the catfish station, which was like a primarily it was like a black owned, primarily visited by by black people bar and um, like club. Like there's music and dancing. And he was like the only white waiter there. And, you know, I think that's I think that's good for him. I think good for yeah. you, Matthew. And during this, at this point, he made friends with Don Phillips, who I guess is a Hollywood person, Mm -hmm. who was in town to do something. And he, like, drove him around and they got drunk together and, like, became best friends. And he was like, hey, like, I'm casting a movie that's shooting here in a couple weeks. Like, uh, I can get you an audition. And he did. And it was for Dazed and Confused with Richard Linklater, who clearly, you know loved him and was like yeah like let's he showed up like dressed like he would for a a job interview and the guy was like oh like this is or Richard Leclater was like this isn't the character he said he said he said you're not really this guy are you and Matthew said no but I know him yes and uh he was cast and it goes into a lot of detail about how he was only supposed to have like two lines but then Richard Linklater liked him and the persona he had created so much that he had him improvise like basically every other line in the movie that he has yeah like like the iconic all right all right all right like honestly the definitive McConaughey word that was an improv and so if i think especially if you are a fan of jason confused which i saw it a long time ago and i liked it fine for me it's not like one of my top tier movies but i think especially if you're a fan of that like he knows that this is the movie maybe people are most interested in and there is a fair amount about the making of dazed and confused yeah which isn't, it was interesting even as someone even as a casual fan i was like oh cool yeah and he, he talks about his father died like a couple days into him working on this movie and it was his first big role. He had had the one episode of Unsolved Mysteries and he left for the funeral and everyone was really good about him going, but also his family was like, no, like you have to go back. Like this is your 
your job now. Like this is your what you need to do. So we yeah, went back and like, and, and this is what movie. your dad would have wanted you to do. Yeah, which based on the unhinged things that we know about the McConaughey parents, I do believe. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, he went back very, he did not have a very long bereavement leave from Days and Confused. No. Um, so then after that, he headed out to California, to Hollywood, and was sleeping on Don Phillips' couch trying to get roles and it wasn't working. And he asked Don Phillips to set him up with an agent and he got really aggressive and was like, no, like, because if you want it, they'll know it. And you can't want it. You're, you can't need it. It needs to be something that, like, you sort of, like, want. Like, you can't. You have to be casual about it. If you really need it, they'll sense it. And you'll never get what you want. You need to go do something else for a while. So he was like, okay, I guess. Uh, so he went to Europe with some guys from Dazed and Confused and went on a, like, month-long motorcycle trip where he, like, charmed the guy who owned a motorcycle rental place into letting him and his friends rent their bikes for very, 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 like, a tenth of the price that they were supposed to pay. Just because the guy was like, no, like, young men should go on motorcycle trips. Yes, and, and like, one of his friends wrecks one of the bikes, and the this motorcycle shop owner guy seems like a bad businessman, but a very chill human. Because he's just like, oh, I'm glad you're okay. Here's another motorcycle for you to borrow. Like, no big deal. He, he was Dutch, though, so I guess if you've got that, like, universal European healthcare, you're like, fucking whatever. What do I need money for? It's yeah. fine. Um, so he comes back after his, his trip and Don Phillips is like, I can tell now that you are a different person. So I'm going to get you an agent. Yeah. And he, okay, here's another quote. Again, I'm just doing a hundred dramatic readings, but I just, can't, I don't want to summarize and ruin the vibes. Matthew says, good looks don't cook the dinner, but they'll get you a seat at the table. And I was determined to take advantage of any seat I could get. Like, there is a lot of shit Matthew McConaughey is able to do just because he is objectively very good looking. And he, like, and he knows that, and I respect that. Um, So he decided, he had done a couple movies at this point, he decided to take acting classes. And acting classes were not helping him get auditions. It was, in fact, the opposite. All of the roles were drying up now that he was trying to be, like, academic about his work. And he tells an anecdote in here about how he takes, he's so desperate for money that he takes a role without that somebody just says like we'll give you ten thousand dollars to come do like one scene in this movie and he's like yeah great excellent yeah it's and called just, scorpion spring and he it's he's like playing a drug dealer yes and he decides that like the reason that he hasn't been working out well on all these other films is because he's trying to be academic and he needs to go back to his roots and do the same thing he did with dazed and confused where he improved his entire character and that's you know the the way to do this so he doesn't look at the script he doesn't memorize his lines and he shows up for the first day and they hand him sides just in case he wants to look at them and he glances at them just casually and realizes that he's supposed to deliver a four-page monologue in spanish mm-hmm. and then he's like can i please have 12 minutes which and he's like that seems specific enough that i could maybe learn them but not so long that it would be suspicious <laughs> It's so good. And anyway, throughout this, he like, I guess I didn't know this. This was maybe a little before my time. Also, he, I guess his kind of beyond Days and Confused, his first starring role was in A Time to Kill. And throughout this, he's like Jedi mind tricking his way into it because they're like, oh, no, we can't. We can't cast an unknown actor like you in this role. And he's like, yeah, but what if? And he keeps sort of like 
checking back in on the process of it and then eventually he, he of course gets the role and then after that he becomes famous and he talks about how he would every week go to the same deli and get a sandwich and then one day he went there and 400 people were like watching him get a sandwich and he was like oh no i'm famous and this is incredible <laughs> he he had a, okay w- this is a longer dramatic reading and i'm not going to read it now i will actually save it for a designated zone of it but he has a wet dream that it's not a horny dream it's a dream where he's floating down the amazon river but along the river banks are like african tribesmen and then he wakes up and he's like oh this dream is important and then he's like wait the amazon is in south america why were there africans there i don't know but it's all important and i'm like <laughs> Is it important or is it just sort of like, you know, film <laughs> film image mashups in your brain? But it's important to Matthew McConaughey. And he's like, uh, like this fame thing is crazy. I'm going to go to the Amazon and like go down the river. And it's a pretty cool like, travel narrative of his like 21 day canoe journey down the Amazon. And, and then how he like finds himself and learns to stop like looking for things and start looking at things. Yeah. and. And to some extent, you know, some of this is sort of like, I could see someone rolling their eyes at this, but I bought it. I loved it. I loved it for Matthew. I loved reading about it. I thought it was cool. Up to this point, like everything about this has been so unhinged so far. If this was a regular celebrity memoir and this happened, I'd be like rolling my eyes too and be like fucking whatever. But this man in this book is so wild and every story in this book is so bizarre that I was like, yeah, yeah, I do believe that this changed his outlook on life. Yeah, like let me tell you, if Rob Lowe went on the Amazon, (laughs) I'm I'm doing a jerk off motion with my hand on this audio podcast but Matthew McConaughey does it and it works (laughs) anyway then again I I love this for him then he comes back and instead of he like moves away from Hollywood and he just gets a RV and he drives around the country in an RV and he's like yeah like I was famous and people would notice me in RV parks and trailer parks but there's an unspoken code of privacy and people would like leave me alone and I'm sure I mentioned it. My parents have taken up a semi RV lifestyle and I like, I believe this, like the places where they stay, if you looked over and Matthew McConaughey was in the next trailer over, I'd be like, yep, this track, like this (laughs) fucking tracks. (laughs) And he, he, like at this point it's past, it's post time to kill. So he is very famous at this point and he starts taking, like he does not have a permanent residence. He has two P.O. boxes and he starts taking Hollywood movies by having them fly in somewhere, picking not, them not up in movies. his RV. He's, he has meetings. Like, I mean, meetings, not early, movies, yeah. meetings. Yeah. Um, he'll have someone fly in to like Colorado and he'll pick them up in his RV and they'll have the meeting while driving and then he'll drop them off at another airport in like Nebraska so that they can fly back to California and that's how he conducts his business for a couple years and again this is the kind of shit absolutely that you can only get away with if you are like handsome straight white man yeah sure but But I'm so glad someone is getting away with it (laughs) yes I again I love this for him And then eventually he's like, oh, I'm, you know, life on the road is wearing on me. It's time to maybe settle down. So he gets a house in Austin, Texas, which he's from a small town in Texas. And he went to University of Texas in Austin. So this is sort of a homecoming. And he 
He's like, people in Austin are chill and they mostly like respected my privacy and I and I liked living there. And then and this was a news story. Like I mentioned this to my roommate who's from Texas. I don't think I'd heard about this. It happened in 1999. So it was like before I imprinted on Matthew McConaughey and I just wasn't really interested. But he got arrested for a noise complaint because he was playing the bongos at his house at 2.30 in the morning naked which again, if you're in your house, who cares if you're naked, but it was so loud that cops broke into the house to stop him from playing bongos. And then he was confused. And I th- I think like drunk and high, but like he was like under the influence and also the under, under the influence of bongos. And he was like very disoriented. So he starts resisting arrest and they drag him out and they're arrested. And they're like, okay, we have to take you to the station. Do you want to put clothes on? And he's like, no, my nudity is my defense. This proves I'm innocent, which you like good thing you dropped out of law school bud i don't know about this <laughs> <laughs> and, and one and, of the one of the cops like he at least in his telling of it one of the cops like very clearly is like i have been waiting forever to bust this celebrity like it one of them is very vindictive about the whole thing and of course this is his telling of it so who knows but by this point in the book i was like i would fucking walk to follow you into hell sir so yeah i believe it <laughs> so i want to read this quote and this is he quotes the judge so I, or he quotes his lawyer so i assume this is from like a court transcript and it is so funny to me his lawyer says judge we all agree that this situation got out of hand pretty quickly but you also got to understand that these policemen literally broke into this man's house while he was playing the bongos in his birthday suit the resisting arrest was self-defense i suggest you dismiss it altogether and my client will plead to the class c violation of a sound ordinance as he was indeed banging on those bongos pretty damn loud for 2 36 in the morning and it worked <laughs> and he and to his credit again Matthew McConaughey is like and I recognize like as a white man this would have been different for someone else like he recognizes it and he also the judge also prior to this the judge had like said like this is not like this is fake this is very clearly not what it's very trumped up charges like we're gonna reduce them and I think the judge had wanted to reduce it to the resisting arrest and the lawyer was like no the resisting arrest was self-defense you gotta reduce it to the noise violation yeah yeah and then it became a a big thing especially in Austin like people would sell naked bongo um t-shirts but in the hubbub his address got leaked and then he sort of lost his um anonymity I never know how to say that word. Anonymity. <laughs> yeah, he lost it. Everyone knew where he was at. And so there were like paparazzi on his street. And he's like, this isn't really fair to my chill Austin neighbor. So I got to move on. Bye. And I I felt bad for him, honestly. Yeah, it was, it was, the, oh God, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't, I cannot explain to you how this book has changed my brain. <laughs> uh, again, it, we're reborn. It's Easter. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so a lot around this time, he is he's not getting like a ton of calls. Most of his movies after A Time to Kill were box office bombs. So he's not getting like a ton of work. And he ends up uh, moving back to Hollywood and he moves into, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but some famous hotel that's basically known for oh, like the, the Chateau Marmont. Yes. Um, so he's just kind of like, you know, doing auditions and like living like a wild, inebriated lifestyle. Kate, and- by the way, sorry, I 
there's something that we neglected to say earlier, which is I I must tell you about just keep living. Which okay. Every time he writes the word live in, he doesn't put a G in it. And it, by the way, this is another thing I knew about Matthew McConaughey is he does have like a foundation called the, the JK live in foundation or JKL and JK live in stands for just keep living. And the reason he earlier on, he says live in with no G. And then there's a footnote that says later on, I'm going to explain to you why I don't put a G in live in. And here's why just keep living lowercase because life is nobody's proper noun and there's no g on the end of living because life's a verb jk living <laughs> matthew what does this mean <laughs> life's a verb verbs have g's what are you talking <laughs> anyway just because you said living and it activated me i needed to i couldn't go any further without explaining that living has no g because life's a verb <laughs> Oh my god um yeah so so he's he's living no g at the chateau marmont and just yeah being a party boy and he he's like i had a good time i was with a lot of women like they enjoyed it i enjoyed it It was a great time and i was like i good for you you're a beautiful himbo and i love you (laughs) and he so he takes the role in reign of fire and is like great like i I've had a good run of like being sowing my seed and getting high every night. And now like, because I'm going to be playing this like tough dragon slayer guy, I got to get my shit together. So he goes to his brother's ranch in Texas and he's like, I'm going to like set up a training regimen and I'm going to get like in dragon slayer shape and, and become this, this dude. Uh, and like four days into this insane workout that he comes up with, that's like start each day by drinking two shots of tequila and run six miles barefoot every day and get to a point where you can stand on the edge of the roof. That's a 40 foot drop with a resting heart rate rate of 150 beats. And yeah. And he goes into it and he's like, I really was thinking, you know, if I'm living this lifestyle and I'm on the run, like then I don't have shoes. And so I have to do this. And as a dragon slayer, I would be not afraid of heights, but I, Matthew, am afraid of heights. So I have to conquer this. And he really like goes full kind of method on this weird dragon slayer role. And also, he shaved his head and this is another thing like he's like i was losing my hair and i'd read that if you shave your head it'll grow back better and then i also started using this hair regrowth product and i i feel like losing your hair is so kind of taboo for men or so like it's such a thing and especially for someone who's so like his brand is being casually handsome i thought it was kind of brave of him to write about it i think matthew mcconaughey is a hero Um, so like a, a week into this this new dragon slayer training he's come up with it is completely unsustainable he can't even walk because his blisters are so bad he throws up the tequila every morning he can't even get within 10 feet of the edge of the roof and he's like all right well we had a good run of it but this yep. isn't gonna work out but again but it- whim- whimsical charming i enjoyed yes. it um and so he does go to ireland to make this movie and is it while he's there that he has the wet dream again? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's exactly the same dream. And he's like, oh, well, like, I went to the Amazon and I, like, found enlightenment. And, like, now is a time in my life when I clearly need enlightenment again. So this time I should go to Africa. So he chooses where to go by looking up where his favorite musician lives. And it's then just Mali. decides. 
And again, like I res- this is not where you go if you're like, I'm a cool Hollywood guy. I'm going to go on, you know, I'm going to go to like Johannesburg or whatever. He's like, I'm going to go to Molly. He goes in incognito. He says his name is Dave. And which not that necessarily people in the town, in the city he was going would, you know, he was famous, but he wasn't necessarily so famous that they would recognize him. But he's like, they definitely didn't because I said my name was David. And I had my like beard from the movie. Like, honestly, preach, they'll move, I think. Yeah, so he goes, he meets this musician who he loves, and, you know, he talks about, like, how come you never tour in the U.S.? Because, like, I, you only tour here, and you only tour in, I think, France or something, and, you know, I would, I would love to, like, see you in America where I live, and the guy tells him, God, what is the fucking weirdest? He says, I loved He it. says, in the U.S., well, let me pull up the exact quote. Because there I would be dried shit. Neither me nor my scent would stick with you. Here, I am wet shit. Both me and my scent stick with you. And this is extremely meaningful to him. It is. It is so meaningful to him. And it's just, it's very good. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, very the, clever. the musician's name is Ali Farka, by the way, who I, I hadn't heard of, but he's a, a drummer, like a, a drummer, I guess. Yeah. Um, so after after meeting with with Ali Farka, he's like, okay, well, what else? This was my only destination here, but I have like more time and I want to do more things. And his guide is like, well, there's this like little village that I can take you to that like I think will be I'm really read meaningful this to you. for you. There is a magical people in Mali called the Dogon. They have an extraterrestrial transmission of knowledge of the cosmological facts of the stars that they knew long before the development of modern astronomy. They fled to a place called the Bandiagara Escarpment to escape the Muslim invasion over 1,000 years ago, where they now live in villages along the river's edge. I think this is a good place for you to go, Dauda, a place you will remember. Dauda is the name he's going by. And then Matthew says... Remember, better to have a scent and be remembered than to have none and be forgotten. That's it. Wet shit. And so he goes there to be wet shit. And they like, it's like a camel and boat journey. It's intense. He, he gets into this wrestling match because he's he's been, he was super strong from having to do this, you know, very physically intense movie. So like, everyone's like, oh, like this, there's this strong white guy who's like walking towards the village. So he's challenged to a wrestling match by like the strongest guy in the village. And they become friends afterwards. And like, he goes back and visits him years later and meets his family. It's very, like, he keeps in touch with these rando African villagers that he's met. Like, and it's it's one of those things that I feel like like I feel like again if this was in Rob Lowe's book it would be very white saviory. Yeah. Whereas here it's just very like so this is what I did next and it was cool and I loved it and here's what I'm gonna do after that like it's not I don't know I could maybe I've drunk the Kool Aid. <laughs> yes, we have we have drunk McConaughey's Brahma beer flavor. <laughs> um, this podcast is now brought to you by Brahma beer. By the way. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, it's it's respectful, like, he's open to it, like, he seems very humble, but not in a performative way, like, I don't know how to explain it, like, he is just passing the vibe check, he's passing the vibe check so hard. And it's, I feel like it's because, like, if, if the books even started with this, I would be like, oh, like, this is, now I'm making the jerk-off motion, um, but... <laughs> 
Uh, because because we start off because at this point like almost every single part of his Hollywood life is clearly not interest as interesting to him as everything else outside of it. It doesn't feel it 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 doesn't feel like that you know it feels i don't know i i i i'm in i'm in i'm in it now i'm in it now i'm in it yeah i love it couldn't pick this guy out of a lineup but i would die for him (laughs) yeah um like truly are we gonna have to play a new game called uh Rock, paper, snicked McConaughey, and the McConaughey <laughs> option is just like, I don't know, go to Africa, I guess. Like, just get in your RV and drive around for two years. Yeah. You know what? It's JK Living. <laughs> um so after after this he goes back and i guess he makes some more movies he gets real he's very this is like rom-com. his rom-com phase yeah, yeah. Of like the wedding planner and fool's gold and such or fool's whichever one he made yeah um so he he does a lot of rom-coms and he also earlier in the book uh and a couple times throughout he has talked about how the only thing he wanted to be when he was a kid was a father it was his only aspiration um, so at some point in here, he has another wet dream, and this time it's that he's very old, and all of these women are showing up at his house with all of his children for a family reunion, and he's still single, but he's fathered like 88 children or something. Yeah, and- in his dream, he's 88 years old, has 22 smiling mothers and 88 children. Yeah, and and he realizes that he doesn't have to because he was very tied up in the idea of like how to find a woman that he wants to marry in order to be a father and realizes that that's not how he has to go about it, that he can do it his own way. And then yeah, he, so he meets... quit. I quit looking for her. Then she came. Yes. And he meets his wife, Camilla, uh, who is very resistant to his charms at first but yeah. like she's a she's dating. a brazilian model like she's a very beautiful woman yes um and her car gets towed from the bar that they're at while he's trying to you know sweet talk her into coming back to his place for a nightcap and he's like oh well like if you come back i can drive you to get your car later and they obviously they fall in love and she is very firm in the fact that like if she is gonna like be with him he she has to travel with him and if they have a family they have to travel with him to every movie he makes like he can't go alone and he's like yeah sure like that's what i would want that out anyway like that's let's do it yeah and and these two if you are not as plugged into celebrity gossip like they are like a iconic hollywood couple at this point like they have been married for a long time they have three kids um like still to this day they're married and they have never had any kind of major scandal like once he met her like he's a wife guy he's a himbo and a wife guy and i love him (laughs) um yeah so he i mean he he meets her she gets pregnant they're so excited his mom freaks out because they're not married yet but then calls to apologize for freaking out and, you know, he, he at this point, he, there's a footnote about how he wins an Oscar. <laughs> well, OK, yes. And so he he does talk a little bit more about the Oscar because he he realized. And, and again, I like this. He talked about how at first he didn't think he would want to do romantic comedies. But then he realized, like, they're fun and they make people happy and it's fun for me to do them. And like, there's no shame in that. And so he has this rom-com period, but then he gets burned out on them and he realizes, like, now it's too easy for me and I want to challenge, but nobody wants to hire him for anything except rom-com. So he says 
to his agent, like, okay, I need, to, I'm going to take some time off. Like I'm not doing any more rom-coms no matter what. And then he has this kind of like, he's intentionally funny or he's like, I kept getting offers. I got a script for, and they offered me 5 million, then 10 million, then 15 million. And it was the same script, but suddenly it looked a lot better to me, but he didn't do it. And he was like, I'm, you know, no, this is what I got to do is not do any rom-coms and like something will come like, he doesn't say the secret, but he is a little bit the secret, but in a fine way. He's <laughs> just um, like, you know, like it'll work out for me. Yeah. And he gets, so he does after like almost two years of not doing any rom-coms, he starts getting offers for all of these serious roles and he takes all of them um, with like Camilla's advice. Cause he's like, Oh, probably I can only do like two of these three. I really want to do. And she's like, well, why? Like, why can't you do all three? Do it. If you want to do it, just do it. So he does. Um, and during this time, he gets attached to the Dallas Buyers Club, which he, just well, actually he'd been attached to it in 2007, which is before this. Like he just sort of had it as an option as back pocket for literally years. And but- I had never understood what when someone said like an actor or a director is attached to this movie meant. And he does explain that it means that because he's attached to it, he gets say in who's directing it and like all of these who else is cast in it. And essentially like the production of this movie. And this is what he's saying. I don't know if you're a Hollywood person. You're like, that's not what it is. Yeah. But that's what he says. Well, and that- also Matthew McConaughey used to have his own production company. And then at some point he has this like moment of insight and he's like no i i immediately called my lawyer and shut down the production company gave everyone generous severance baggage because i don't want to do this anymore i want to focus just on my family and on my jk Levin foundation yes and uh so he he finally like finds a director that he likes for dallas buyers club but no one wants to make it so he doesn't have any money but he once again uses the secret and starts telling everyone that they're going to start shooting the movie in the fall and so he like starts going on a diet because he needs to lose all this weight and starts like meeting with the family of the gentleman the movie's about yeah. his name the he played this uh person named ron woodruff who's a real person um the the director's name was jean-marc valet and he is canadian um and yeah, and so because if you're not familiar, I haven't actually seen this movie. I know there was some controversy about it. I don't know if the movie is good or not. I can tell you Matthew seems extremely invested in it and like met with the family, really wanted to do a good job with it. This is also the movie where Jared Leto played a trans woman. He does not mention that at all. Matthew's like, I, I think he's like, oh, I know that was bad. Now I'm not going to talk about that at all. I'm just going to talk about me. And he does. Yeah. And he talks about how he met with the family and the family, like he formed a deep connection with them and they gave him like home videos and the guy's journals. And, you know, the time came and they were like, oh, actually, we found some money so we can start making this movie in the fall. But it's not as much money as was in the budget. And then he and the director are like, but we're going to do it anyway because we can and we believe in it. And then, of course, he does win an Oscar for it um, because he believed in it. But yeah, then he's like he talks about having his three kids and how by the way this is wild his first son was born at 6 22 p.m and he's like matthew 6 22 is my favorite bible verse and i i you know i don't know the bible but i looked up the verse he says the verse and i didn't understand the verse and i looked it up because i still don't understand it (laughs) um i'm again this i guess is appropriate for easter the but the verse matthew 6 22 says the light of the body is the eye if therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. I don't know what the fuck this means. Like, 
but Matthew's and he doesn't really explain what it means to him just that it's his favorite and it's very powerful the Wikipedia interpretation says that um, it might mean not to be a literal source of light but a guide through the darkness a spiritual eye like this is long you can look it up if you want in short I still don't really understand what it means but it's very meaningful to Matthew McConaughey and so because his son Levi was born at 622 he named him Levi because Levi is another name for Matthew and he didn't want him to be named Matthew Jr., even though Camilla did, because he didn't want to saddle him with the baggage of a famous father, which is, like, thoughtful. Yeah. He, um, Matthew McConaughey, like, I was worried because his his parents seemed so unhinged. He, by all, and this is self-reported, but again, he didn't seem to have a problem reporting all the wax stuff his parents did. He seems like a really good dad. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he he then, you know, reaches a point where he... Is like, oh, you know, I haven't, I've made some movies for my kids, I've made some more movies, but I decided what I really needed to do as I approach 50 is write a book. So I took all my old journals and all all of my stuff to cabins in the woods and to like in the, the places where I grew up, the desert, and I wrote this book for you. And then as with every book written in 2020 or edited in 2020, there are like three paragraphs at the end that are like, and then quarantine happened. And then George Floyd was murdered by the police. And then, like, an election. And because I guess you can't write a book in 2020. Yeah. Without referencing what 2020 was. And there's extra juice on it because there has been a lot of talk about whether or not he's planning to run for governor of Texas in the next election. And so I think that last bit was also with an eye on that. But he also, like, he's, he describes himself as, like, an outlaw libertarian, and, like, he never says what political party he is, and he still hasn't. Like, he's given multiple, like, not a press conference, but people have asked him, and he, he says, like, yeah, maybe I will run for governor, but he won't say what party. Like, this is extremely chaotic. <laughs> Which, honestly, is in line with everything else we read in this book. Yes, and honestly, like, if he ran for governor as, like, I'm running on, like, the JK Livin party, I'd be like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you know what? If I lived in Texas, like, I don't know. On one hand, I don't think that celebrity, like, we've seen where, like, reality show presidents can get us. And I don't necessarily think that, like, after, like, I don't think The Rock should run for president, probably. I don't think it's the best qualifications, obviously. But you know what? Like, if nothing else, I think Matthew McConaughey has a good heart and an open mind. I think you could do fucking worse for a governor. I don't know who's running against. I don't know if he's running. But that's that's my tepid statement I was make is I think you could do worse. And from what I hear from, again, my roommates from Texas, uh, I and also I read the, the news. A wet noodle I, would be a better governor than te- yeah, Texas like I think, they currently have. Yeah, I think I think Governor Abbott of Texas is a low bar from what I understand. Oh my so gosh. That's, that's oh, the one amazing. okay, there's okay. one last thing that I want to say that's very important to me. And oh, this is okay. This is revealed in a footnote. When when he stopped doing rom coms and started getting these other roles, it was like people did call it the McConnaissance. And he casually reveals in a footnote that he coined that phrase. He was doing an interview with with a, a journalist. I don't think he even says which one it doesn't. But he was doing an interview with a journalist. And he was like, oh, yeah, 
you know, I was I did another interview earlier today, and that journalist said I was having a reconnaissance, and they both like laughed, and the journalist was like, "Yeah, that's good." And then everyone started using it, but no first journalist actually said that. Matthew McConaughey made it up and like disseminated it himself, and good for him. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think I think good for him is. We have a different moral of the story, but I think good for him is also the moral of the story from him. both of us. And I'm now I'm really afraid that some other scandal is going to come out and we're going to have to like redact it. But I, I don't know. I mean, like the Dallas Buyers Club thing again, I know there is controversy about that, that movie, and I think more so with Jared Leto, but I think the whole thing is a little bit like question mark. But if that's the worst thing in this like 50 year career, like, okay, Matthew. Okay. It's, it's very, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think maybe we're broken inside. I'll put that out there just in case, because we, I think we are actually dead inside now. We have read, you know, fucking the Christmas sweater. Um, But also, I don't know. It was just, it was so unhinged that I couldn't, I couldn't get get off. I couldn't. I had to, to to stay on for the whole ride. I I don't know. Yeah, it was like it was like a dragon that you were in the back of, and you couldn't just jump off because <laughs> <laughs> you would die. <laughs> I yeah, I love this. <laughs> I, I love this for him. I love this for me. I love this for us. I love it. Let's uh let's do some dramatic readings so everyone else can love it too. Uh, I know. And I know we've already <laughs> sprinkled several throughout, but can you blame us? Please don't blame us. Um the first one I'm going to do is from when he uh got cast as Wooderson and was meeting with um Richard Linklater for the first time and Richard Linklater was saying like, "Hey, I like your character so much that I would love for you to improv and be in the scene if you want." So here we are. Now, there were no lines written for this, and this was my first time on a film set. I'd never done this before. Anxious, I started going back over in my head who my man is. Who's my man? Who's Wooderson? What do I love? I love my car. Well, I'm in my 70s Chevelle. That's one. I love getting high. Well, Slater's riding shotgun and he's always got a doobie rolled up. That's two. I love rock and roll. Well, I've got Nugent's stranglehold in the eight track. That's three. That's when I heard action. I looked up across the parking lot at Cynthia, the redheaded intellectual, and said to myself, and I love chicks. As I put my car in drive and slowly pulled out, I thought to myself, well, I've got three out of the four and I'm headed to get the fourth and then said out loud, all right, all right, all right. Those three words, those three affirmations of what I, Wooderson, did have were the first three words I ever said on film. A film that my character had only three scripted scenes in. A film that I ended up working on for three weeks. Now, 28 years later, those words follow me everywhere. People say them. People steal them. People wear them on their hats and t-shirts. People have them tattooed on their arms and inner thighs. And I love it. It's an honor because those three words are the very first words I said on the very first night of a job I had that I thought might be nothing but a hobby, but turned into a career. Green light. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is wild. Um, 
So the next thing I'm going to read is one of his very bad poems. I don't remember if we said this at the top, but we like did. the narrative. Yeah. As a reminder, we, while we loved like the wild stories he was telling in this book, he also inserted many of his poems, which in the acknowledgments, he says like friends gave him, like sent him copies of poems he had written for them over the years and stuff like that. And the poems are very bad. Yeah. And here's one called The Genies in the Steam. People wonder how to make it in life. First of kin with innate ability and a lot of hard work. Yes. But don't forget the steam. The undefined asterisk and intangible. Some call it juice. Some call it magic. The genies in the magic. The magic's in the steam. What does that mean? Who knows? Doesn't matter. It means just keep living. (laughs) along those lines i'm just gonna read a couple of the bumper stickers and like fragments taped into the book um there's a bumper sticker that says if you're high enough the sun's always shining and that's pretty representative of the quality of bumper stickers (laughs) um there's a taped in note written on uh notebook paper that says two agnostics and the t and two is a cross just because it says anonymous doesn't mean it has no author. Deep. <laughs> um, so there's just a lot of those. Um, sometimes which choice you make is not as important as making a choice and committing to it. That actually, I think, is, is kind of good advice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm going to read for you my... Um, Again, one of, one of the most important and weird parts. I had a wet dream. Yes, the involuntary intercourse, hands and fellatio-free nocturnal emission of semen one has while sleeping. Rare but welcomed, these lucid dreams most commonly involve a theme of sexual activity. This wet dream was not common. I was seeing myself floating downstream on my back in the Amazon River, wrapped up by anacondas and pythons, surrounded by crocodiles, piranhas, and freshwater sharks. There were African tribesmen lined up shoulder to shoulder on the ridge to the left of me as far as my eyes could see. I was at peace. Eleven frames. Eleven seconds. Then I came. I woke up. Whoa. All the elements of a nightmare, but it was a wet dream. Green light. I'm actually going to keep reading because this is buck wild. (laughs) What does that mean? I wondered. There are two things I was sure about in the dream. One, I was on the Amazon River. And two, those were African tribesmen on the ridge. I got out of bed and grabbed my world atlas, then turned to the continent of Africa and started looking for the Amazon. Well, as you probably know, you can look a mighty long time for the Amazon River and the continent of Africa because you're not going to find it. I looked for that river for two hours until I realized, wrong continent, the Amazons in South America. Damn, dreams can be tricky. Nevertheless, it was a sign and just what I was looking for. It was time to chase down my wet dream. Matthew, what? (laughs) All right. This book is great. Um... It's time for Reader's Advisory, and we'll recommend some books to read instead of or in addition to this book. I really do. I do recommend this, like, wholeheartedly. It is. And it's it's a quick read. It's, like, I think it's, like, six hours on audio. And, but even, like, I, I read, I started reading ahead in the, the text. 
<laughs> because I, the audio wasn't going fast enough for me, <laughs> even at like 1.8. It, it is a very quick read. Yeah. Um. So not honestly, none of these books I'm recommending are as good. But <laughs> but again, this it reminded me a lot of my Peace Corps, and not just because of imprinting on him, but because a lot of his travels were very like Peace Corps esque. And I, my favorite Peace there's a lot of Peace Corps memoirs that people are like, you do Peace Corps and then you can get a book deal. I didn't. I didn't try. <laughs> but a lot of them are very, like, self-congratulatory, and I'm, like, not as interested in that. My favorite one that I've read is The Unheard, colon, A Memoir of Deafness in Africa by Josh Schwiller, who is a deaf man who is a Peace Corps volunteer. And his story is really interesting, and it also captured a lot of just kind of the day-to-day petty nonsense of Peace Corps that a lot of other Peace Corps writers want to gloss over, but is actually a lot of the time. So I, I do recommend that book if you're interested in knowing like what a Peace Corps experience might be like, or if you just want maybe like a travel um, narrative, or if you're interested in reading more about the capital D death experience. I don't know. It's pretty good. And then th- there's another one I want to recommend because I don't want to just put the title on the list and then have you look and be like, girl, what? Because the title is The Sex Lives of Cannibals by J. Martin Troost. And I know that's like problematic. And it's not really about that. Like, it's just his memoir of going to to um, live on this remote island called Kiribati. And the title is like, A, is meant to be grabbing, grab your attention. And B, it's sort of like what he thought it might be like to go there. And then they're not cannibals. Like, that's not like, don't worry about it. Um, so I just wanted to say that I, I enjoyed that sort of travel story. And again, it, 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 like the unheard captures a lot of the kind of how slow it can feel when you're trying to do development work and how it's just like, oh, another day of, of this. Okay. So those are some of my recommendations. We'll have a whole list on worstbestsellers.com. Yeah. And uh, as we said, you know, we we did an episode on Rob Lowe's memoir, which I think is a pretty good episode. I wouldn't necessarily recommend. I mean, I would not recommend that book. It was pretty funny. But, you know, if you like hearing us talk about celebrity memoirs, Something we should do more. I love a celebrity memoir. We should do more. Why don't we do one next episode? Oh fuck yeah! Great idea. Great idea. All right. Um, let's move on then to the rock paper snick, and we don't have a guest to determine, so I think that we just both will win. Yeah, and really everyone wins. But anyway, um, Kate, why don't you tell me who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book? Well. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this book more than he already is, because Wait, is after after Matthew McConaughey shaves his head, oh, and yeah. oh, he yeah, yeah. goes through, he does this whole thing where, like, uh, one of the producers of Reign of Fire calls him and is like, I can't believe you did this. Like, you're going to ruin the movie. So he was like, well, fuck that. And, like, shaved, like, got his head, like, tanned and waxed and nice and, like, makes some throwaway comment about how, like, even Dwayne Johnson would be jealous of how good his head looked shaved. And then went to some Hollywood party and everyone was like, oh, my God, your head looks so great. And then the guy called him back and apologized. Um, But so if Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this book more than he already is, he would travel to Matthew McConaughey's brother's ranch with him to help him train for Reign of Fire. And there would be a lot of, like, training montages and eating of cod and them, like, growing out. And it would be good. Would be good. And Reign of Fire sounds like a movie that The Rock could have been in. It, it is, and it is a movie that I do think you would enjoy. Even though it's kind of like a movie version of a book with a map, it's action-y enough that, like, you don't have to worry about the map parts. Thank God. 
All right. Well, if Wolverine were in this book, um, Kate, as you know, and perhaps the listeners know, the X-Men have spent some time in Australia. And so if he were in this book, he would have been Matthew McConaughey's foster dad in Australia. And it just would have been more a chill vibe. And then Matthew would not have had to eat lettuce with ketchup because Wolverine would not allow that in his house. I love that. I love it for them. I actually thought where you were going with this is um, there was a pilot for an X-Men cartoon before the 90s Fox cartoon called Pride of the X-Men, where Wolverine inexplicably has an Australian accent. (laughs) And that's kind of what I thought it was a reference to at first. That I mean, also that like sure, like what there's many multiverses. Yeah, that's if you haven't seen that, listeners or Renata, I'm sure it's probably on YouTube or something. We had it on VHS when we were kids. It's a fucking riot. All right, well, good game, Kate. Good Good game. game. Good game, Matthew. All right, the moral of the story, obviously and explicitly, is simply J.K. J.K. Livin. J.K. Livin. At some point, and there might still be, he sold bracelets that said JKL for JK Livin, and now I kind of feel like we should get them. Like, as, <laughs> as friendship bracelets. Yes, Google that as and soon as this is over. <laughs> Gonna look into that. All right, now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where, of course, my cat Duarte gives his opinions. <laughs> yeah, Duarte, I, I think that you're right, that if Matthew McConaughey had, like, a chill cat on the road with him, like living in the RV. I think that would be really cute. I do think Matthew McConaughey has extreme dog person vibes. Yeah, I would agree, you know, um, but it could have been, I mean, so he had his dog, Mrs. Hud, who he went on his, his trips with, but you know, like, I think you could get a real, like the incredible journey vibe. If he also had like a cat and like, maybe the cat like had like a little bit of an attitude and dog was like real chill and they had to learn how to be friends. I I would watch that movie starring Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Jorge, thank you so much for joining us. And Kate, do you have any closing thoughts? Um. Yeah. This this book was good. I I I I'm learning. I, I this podcast has taught me that I need to lean into not being ashamed of enjoying things. That I mean, I never really was. I think we did a whole newsletter for two bossy dames about how we love trash. Yeah. But you know, I really I did enjoy it. I did yeah. enjoy. If, if it. I may quote Matthew McConaughey, "Fuck y'all for saying something is shit just because it's popular." Yeah, yeah, you know, I, yes, sir, I agree with you. I still probably could not pick you out of a lineup, but I am with you 100%. I, you gotta watch more movies or something. I don't know. Like, I think I mean, you could. I'm very face blind is the problem. Yes. And especially like, like, I, I did Google him at one point and I realized that who I was seeing in my head when you said Matthew McConaughey was actually Owen Wilson. <laughs> You know what? That does pass the vibe check. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You're right. I mean, I do I do probably have to watch more movies. I have watched literally nothing since the beginning of February except The West Wing. Literally nothing. Oh, no, I'm lying. We watched Birds of Prey last night. So I've watched like, The West Wing choice. and Birds of Prey, and that's it. That's a good choice. 
Um, yeah, it was it was because when you were saying watch Birds of Prey twice instead of watching the Snyder Cut, I was like, we should watch Birds of Prey again now that it's streaming. I'm an influencer. You are. <laughs> um all right well i guess that ties into our self-promotion time uh if you want to talk to us on social media this is a pro mcgonaghy's own only uh (laughs) you can find us on facebook and instagram at worst bestsellers um on twitter we're at worst bestseller with no s because worst bestsellers is a verb so (laughs) (laughs) so there's no g and there's no s in it (laughs) well there is there is an s but just not at the end um anyway we also have a goodreads group that you can find by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on it uh you can subscribe to us on stitcher apple podcasts amazon spotify spotify google play all the places where you listen to podcasts uh if you do find us there and subscribe to us we would love if you would rate and review us when you rate and review us it moves us up on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us uh if you don't rate and review us then we're going to uh I don't know. I I can't. You know, Matthew honestly, Matthew's vibe is so good that I can't come up with a mean thing to say here. Yeah, if you don't like, it's just keep living. Just keep, just living. keep living. JKL. Uh, you can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worst bestsellers. Uh, Patreon is a service where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like pay for hosting and pay for editing software and all sorts of things. And for uh, example, like we often get our books from the library, but this one is so popular. We, there was such a long wait at the library that we had to purchase it. Yes. And honestly, good investment. Happy to contribute to Matthew McConaughey's gubernatorial campaign question mark? Generally would have not minded. Sometimes when I have to buy these, I'm mad about it. And I was a little mad about this at first, but I, I rescind that anger. I'm happy yeah. that my money went to this, but it was yeah. nice that well, you guys paid for it. Yeah, and either way, it's it's the Patreon money. So um thank you for that. Um and but speaking of speaking of me telling everyone to watch Birds of Prey, that was in our monthly newsletter that goes out to Patreon patrons. Yes. An additional perk is that you get a discount on our merch. But if you are not a patron, we do also have merch available by going to ourbestsellers.com and clicking on the merch button, where you can find all sorts of things from our podcast to wear on your body. Finally, we do have a Discord server that is a fun, exciting place to be. Uh, we'll probably soon become a McConaughey zone, I yeah. imagine. We're going to start we get a, new, this call. a new channel. Yeah. <laughs> Just for McConaughey stuff. Um, but you can find that on our website by going to bestsellers.com and clicking on the Discord link in the sidebar. <sighs> All right. I'm going to be writing the high of this book for a long time, I think. Mm-hmm. I tr- I cannot put into words how refreshed and reinvigorated I feel from having read it. <laughs> but I do think that our next one might bring me down a little bit. Because our next, in two weeks, we're going to be back with No Walls and the Recurring Dream by Ani DeFranco. Who I like, but spoiler, I previously tried to read this book. And, well, you know what? Save that for next time. We'll be back to talk about Ani DeFranco's book that is not as good as Matthew McConaughey's book, which is truly shocking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. AK Living. JK Levin. JK Levin.